So, David, we missed a major milestone in March. Uh, did you know it was the 10-year anniversary of President Obama signing the Affordable Care Act? Yeah, I did. Uh, you're right. There were a lot of other things happening in March, but um, I'm glad it was in place for what was happening. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And, and the reason I wanted to start with it is, of course, the recent filing with the Supreme Court by the Trump administration to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Can you just give us a quick update as to what's happening there? Certainly. Um, I'll try to stay out of the weeds too much because it, it is, it's going back and forth and it gets just a bit weedy. But this is the case that originally comes out of Texas. It's California versus Texas uh, is the one that actually is under review now uh, at the Supreme Court. And this is where the, um, the federal judge in Texas ruled that because there was no longer a penalty um, inside, you know, in the requirement to keep your insurance, there was no longer that tax penalty, then it no longer fit the conditions for that had been laid out when uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the decision on National Federation of Independent Businesses versus Sebelius. So he said without that, then it becomes the mandate becomes unconstitutional um, because, because a lot of people would say Justice Roberts had based it on the idea that it was a tax and that's what was, why it was allowed. Um, so that that was what the federal court said. Then it went to the appeals court and it was sent back to them to, to the, the district court to really deal with severability, whether you could keep the rest of the ACA alive and um, and just take that out. So the reason why I, I give you all that rigmarole is because the people fighting to keep this, um, the the 20 states that are led by uh, Democratic AGs, um, they have maintained that, it, that, first of all, it is still constitution, but even if it were not, it is severable uh, from the law. And so Department of Justice has kind of gone back and forth on that. I don't know if you followed that very much or not, but it's it's kind of argued it several different ways. So they've at one point argued that, okay, it was um, unconstitutional, but it, the decision should only apply to the states that were plaintiffs, the ones that sued to try to have it you know, declared unconstitutional, which is kind of bizarre. Uh, now they have done something else that's kind of bizarre, that when they were at the appellate level, was the judges were kind of scratching their heads over to the Supreme Court. They've called for it to be declared unconstitutional, but then they are also asking for the court to go back and make sure that it's really only done based on where injury has occurred to states. Um, so they do keep going back and forth on it. So yes, we are in that that discussion once again, even at a point where when we're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but also the way the United States is trying to handle the pandemic is is very much based on a a sort of state-led strategy. So it kind of underscores the issues around how different states have implemented the Medicaid waivers and sort of how they've approached the Affordable Care Act. So I think that adds a a level of complexity here. Well, it does. And and, and you've, you've got at least 23 million people who would automatically lose insurance if, if it were just declared unconstitutional and, and, and it was immediately enforced. You also have a ton of, of, of funding and different programs. So like you said, we're at the 10-year anniversary. Uh, a lot of our listeners know about the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation at CMS, which does all of the models and testing new kind of ways to achieve value-based care 
and all the things that we're trying to do to improve healthcare delivery and the kind of level out disparities, that entire operation, that entire center was created in the ACA. I mean, if you declared it, if you declared the law unconstitutional and threw it out, that, that, it would just, it, they, that whole center would no longer exist and everything it's doing would no longer exist. And there are billions of dollars in models that are currently being tested across the United States. And, and as we all know, our listeners here are many of which are about to go into the voluntary model, um, kidney care choices. Um, and we're still expected to get a mandatory model out on the, the ESRD treatment choices, uh, mandatory model. So, I mean, talk about throwing everything up in the air. And you're right, because we've, we've had states that have stayed away from Medicaid waivers and, and Medicaid expansions coming to, coming back around to that issue in the middle of the pandemic, realizing, hey, this could be very valuable for us. Maybe we need to re, you know, reevaluate this position. So what's the time frame for the Supreme Court? Well, here it is. The interesting part is um, this is going to be, this was supposedly for the next, um, you know, sessions uh, that began, as you know, uh, what we call it, the first Monday of October uh, when the Supreme Court starts every year. Am I right? Is that the date it is? It is. And it's funny, whenever I hear that, I think about the actress Jill Claiborne. Yes, I, 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 yes, exactly. Um, so, yes, and we're dating ourselves again. For for those that don't know, there's a movie that she she starred in that it was called the first Monday of October. But but go ahead. Yes, um, I, I actually like that movie. Um, so it was slated to go into that um, that that docket. However, the Supreme Court has also postponed a number of arguments from this this session because of of COVID nineteen and the inability to to get arguments presented and so forth. So the idea is that those will be handled first. And of course, you know, that's tradition with the Supreme Court, but, you know, they could always change. So the idea that there would be arguments before the election, um, it's really it's really hard to imagine that that would happen. But, hey, this is 2020. Lots of things we didn't imagine have happened. So we will see. But I'm, I'm guessing into the winter of 2021. So just to shift gears, the other kind of big issue that um, has occurred over the last couple of weeks has been the extension of the visa bans through the end of 2020. Can you just provide us an update concerning that issue? Sure. Back at the end of April, the Trump administration put out a 60-day halt to basically any of the visas that we think of and our listeners would know from H-1B, H-2B, J, and L. And so, you know, there's a lot of concern, as you know, we've talked about before. We have a lot of international medical school graduates who come to the United States um, and for their fellowship and then also try to get a J-1 visa, um, excuse me, an H-1B visa. And so... That was a very concerning thing. ASN was very concerned and expressed its concern to the administration. What they did in the last couple of weeks is as it got close to the 60-day uh, expiration of that, that order, they have extended it through December 31st, 2020, um, which was very disappointing. Um, and ASN is working with, with um, CMSS. And I'll let you tell everybody what CMSS is. 
So for those who, who are unfamiliar, it's, it's, a, it's called the Council of Medical Specialty Society. So ASN is a member along with about 44, 45 other medical specialty societies representing pretty much all the different specialties within medicine. And um, they have been trying to coordinate with the Association of American Medical Colleges. I think one of the points to make is just that whenever there are issues around visas or immigration, um, it, it, they tend to touch on a lot of organizations. And so we've been trying to work with as large a coalition as possible on this issue. Yeah. And as far as AAMC, is, they, they're quoted immediately as saying the AAMC is deeply troubled by this proclamation, which will hinder our nation's healthcare workforce and biomedical research enterprise. And then it goes forward. Um, so, at the, we are working with CMSS to come up with um, an extension of our statement uh, from May 19th um, that came out in dealing with some of the workforce issues and some of the earlier statements we've done also. Uh, ASN is still working also to support the passage in Congress of the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act, that's 3599, um, and work with other groups, including CMSS. And um, we have been uh, continually requesting that the administration uh, waive any of these uh, proclamations and in terms of whether or not they apply to medical school graduates, international medical school graduates. So um, if, if I'm sounding a little frustrated, because it, it is a little frustrating um, to be kind of uh, banging your head against the wall, but we are hoping that we will get somewhere with this. Yeah, I think there's a couple of points to make just so people have a sense of the complexity here. I mean, one is that, you know, it's difficult to, you know, technically the way executive orders work is either a future president has to issue an executive order that undoes, uh, undoes a previous president's executive order or the courts have to get involved. And as we just talked about, you know, at the Supreme Court level, but I think across the nation in terms of the court, the judicial system, you know, there is quite a backlog in terms of, of these types of activities. So that that's one set of issues. The other is, as you try to look at the federal agencies that are involved here, it's not just the Department of Health and Human Services. It's it's HHS, it's the Department of State, it's the Department of Homeland Security, and it's the Department of Labor. So there's a lot of different agencies that, that touch these issues. And so you're trying to sort of raise awareness there. And, and, you know, if you sort of scale back, as I said, sort of more broadly than nephrology, so about 25% of the physician workforce in the United States is international medical graduates. And more than 20 million Americans live in parts of the country where the physician workforce is, is more than 50% trained outside of the United States. And so this is, for the United States, you know, it's a huge issue from, from a public policy perspective. Unfortunately, we don't have great data in terms of other health professionals and others involved in sort of the healthcare workforce who um, are visa holders as well. And so it just it becomes a really complicated issue. It, it, it does become a really complicated issue. And, and you're right. There are very few pathways to, to overturning an executive order. And I don't think anyone has really made the argument to the courts that the, that's present doesn't have the authority to do this. Um, although it'd be interesting if someone did, but I think it's been more the argument that this is not, this is not a move you should be making. Uh, even with what you just said, even if you took the pandemic off the table with what you just said, you're right. This is an incredibly important part of how healthcare is delivered in the United States, particularly in rural and underserved areas. 
So it seems like the extension will stick through the end of the year. Um, the question really is going to come down to voters and what happens with the November elections. Well, in terms of whether it will stick to the end of the year, unfortunately, I think you're right. In terms of elections, I think I'll stick to my day job. So in the future, it sounds like you don't want to try to play Charlie Cook. No, that's correct. Uh, but I think there will be a lot of conversation uh, even after this election about how what, whatever happens in this election, how healthcare was viewed and how the healthcare system of the United States was viewed in terms of of dealing with the pandemic of COVID-19 and how the federal government's role in that will be viewed. Because I think that will probably end up being a very large factor in this fall's elections. Should we move to our third issue? Well, yeah, we were talking about uh, Capitol Hill and policymaking, so let's move there. Yeah, so we just wanted to spend a few minutes congratulating the Renal Physicians Association and the American Association of Kidney Patients on their successful Virtual Hill Day that took place last month. Um, you know, it, it's it's I was able to follow it on social media. It seemed like they had a lot of really good interactions um, with members of Congress and their staff. They were advocating for issues that, that the entire community supports. Well, I do want to say, first of all, congratulations as well, because we, uh, we we really love working with RPA and AAKP and other members of the kidney community in KF and others. Um, the way it works, and it's becoming very, um, it's become very facile, and it's really working well. I think, it, I think there may be a lot more to this in the future than just fly-in days that we, we normally call them. You know, we're going to have a fly-in. We're going to bring everybody in. Um, and so you're really able to schedule quite a number of these. And what we do when we're doing them, just so everybody knows, is we take our members who are going to be participating, and generally the kidney patients who are also participating, and we group them together by what state they're from. And then in that, in so doing, we're able to go to the various offices where their representatives and senators are. And that's really what Capitol Hill offices want to see. They want to hear from people who are in their state and people who are in their district. So you can schedule them, and it's pretty easy to schedule them. And so you use all of the technologies that we have. There are multiple platforms out there. Um, some people use Zoom. Some people use GoToMeeting. There are others. There's a, there's a whole, I don't want to endorse one over the other, but, and there's a lot of proprietary ones for different companies that help put these together. And through those, you can do video calls and, you know, people can be seen and people can talk. Um, and you really can make the points that, that uh, you want to make very, very effectively. And you've saved people the risk of being exposed to COVID-19 by not getting on their plane and traveling here. And you've done that for them. You've done that for the congressional offices. Um, and it works really well. And regardless of whether you're in person or you're virtual in that way, what you said was the most important thing, one of the most important pieces of it right now. You followed it on social media. And I, I think we've already given away some of our ages in this, in this um, conversation already and in previous ones talking about films from 1981. But um, the catch is, is that something that didn't exist before is now the most critical element almost, which is you get your meeting, you get your ask into the staff uh, and congressman person. But we, we tell people afterwards, the most critically important thing to do and to make sure that you're finishing this 
is to go on social media and use the handle or however, whichever format you're on, identifying the member of Congress, thanking them for meeting you with you and hearing from you and using whatever hashtag that your group is using for that day and being able to collect them and share them back. They will see them long before you ever send them back to them. And it is a critical piece of the work and they really appreciate it. Groups that come to them and ask for help, then turning around and, and making it clear in social media that those members of Congress are open to helping them. Those are the people who really get, um, that is, you do attract a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And that works wonders. Well, David, as always, thanks. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. And I know there's a lot happening and we're probably going to have um, an even longer list the next couple of times we talk. So I'm excited about those discussions. Well, thank you. And yeah, I, listeners, stay tuned. There's a lot coming out this summer uh, and a lot, to, uh, a lot to give you some more information on. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.